and welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Campfield, and I'm recording this on Thursday, September 7th, 2023, here in Chicago. And it was my intention in this edition of the podcast to get into the matter of the Passover, as I mentioned in the previous program. And I do plan, as the Lord allows, to still do that within the next couple of podcasts. But I have to go with the Lord's leading and what I feel the, a particular burden for in the program. And so my apologies uh, for not getting to that quite yet. But over the Labor Day weekend, I was at a conference in Ohio with a number of the saints there. Uh, and it was very good, very refreshing time. Uh, you just feel renewed and washed when you can uh, get away and be with the saints like that for a few days. It's so, so important to have that type of time every once in a while because the world is just coming at us and uh, and deadening us and, and defiling us in so many ways. We really have to have these times away sometimes. And as I say, this time it was very good. And what the brothers were covering was Revelation chapters 1 to 3. Of course, you have the vision of Christ there in Revelation chapter 1. Then in chapters uh, 2 and 3, you have the Lord's epistles to the seven churches in Asia. And within those epistles, you have the promises that the Lord gives to the overcomers, to him who overcomes, I will give to sit with me on my throne. And in uh, each of the seven churches, there's promises to the overcomers within those churches. And the brothers touched on uh, this matter of reward a little bit in the conference. And as a result of that, I just felt uh, uh, I wanted to say something about this matter myself of the Lord's reward and discipline to the believers in the coming age. And if you've been following the program, you know uh, I have touched on that before. I just feel this is a very, very important topic that is so missed in Christianity today among Christian teachers. Uh, the teaching among Christians is quite often so shallow and so limited in terms of what they bring out of the New Testament. And frankly, a, a lot of Christians, they're not interested in hearing about the reward and discipline of the believers in the coming age. We like, we like the free part, for sure. I like the free part about salvation. So we want to hear that. The teaching on that is fine. But if you tell me I'm going to be either rewarded or disciplined, before the Lord, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ based on how I lived my Christian life, uh, that's not something I really like to hear. And for sure, a lot of Christians really don't want to hear that word, and so it's not taught. But if you, have, if you want to serve the Lord, you have to be faithful to the Lord to declare the whole counsel of God, as the Apostle Paul said. And so this is a matter that I am always burdened to bring before the Lord's children. And as I say, I want to uh, take this podcast to develop this a little bit and bring out some points regarding the matter of uh, the reward or loss we may uh, experience in the coming age. And very often when I get into this topic, I use an illustration which I think does a very good job of portraying how Christians treat this matter when they come to the Bible. And uh, so if you've heard this before, you know, bear with me. If, if you haven't, I hope you'll give it some consideration. But I, as I say, I just like this uh, illustration. So when I was about 10 years old, my brother and I and a friend of ours, John, wanted to go to the uh, grocery store in the summer to get some ice cream bars. And this was in the late 60s, and everything back then was uh, so much more relaxed. But anyway, so we go to the grocery store, and in the uh, the freezer there, they had this these boxes of ice cream bars, and... Uh, 
one of them said, one free in every box. There's a free ice cream bar in every box. And so our friend John opened up the, that ice cream, that box of ice cream bars, which you could do back then if you just wanted one. And he took one out, and we're going through the checkout line, and he tells the cashier, he, he holds up the ice cream bar, and he says, I took the free one. And as I always say, that just exactly illustrates how so many Christians treat the Bible today, and especially the New Testament. They open it up, for sure, and they take something out. But what they take is the free part, and they think they can leave the rest behind. Well, just like, of course, John was joking, he had to pay for that ice cream bar. Yeah, is there a free part in the New Testament? There is absolutely a free part in the New Testament. That's the assurance we can have when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, so that our sins are forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. We are saved by his grace. And this not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It's really forgiveness of sins is God's free gift to us. And it is absolutely free. And praise the Lord for that. But there's a whole box, so to speak, that goes with that free part. You cannot separate that free part from the rest of what's in the New Testament. But tragically, that is exactly what Christians do. They take that one part out of the New Testament, and it's not the major part of the New Testament. It's only a small part of the New Testament. Yes, it's a, in terms of the content of the New Testament, it's, of course, it's very basic. Without that, we have nothing else. We can't ever enter into the reality of the New Testament and what it shows us if we don't have that basic matter of the forgiveness of sins uh, through faith in Christ. But in terms of the content of the New Testament, it's only a small part. There's a whole box that we need to take along with that free part, and then the New Testament begins to open up to us. And a big part of the rest of that box of the New Testament, so to speak, is the teaching of the reward and discipline of the believers. And the fact that the believers are not able to properly distinguish between when the New Testament is talking about the reward and discipline of the believers versus how God is going to deal with the unbelievers has led to a great deal of false teaching and a great deal of confusion on the part of the believers, some of whom feel you can lose your salvation. Well, most of those verses, they think, show you can lose your salvation, are not talking about that. They're talking about how we may be disciplined by the Lord in the next age. So if we're clear about this matter of the reward and discipline of the believers, we will have a much firmer assurance of our salvation in Christ, which cannot be lost, but we'll also have a very sober understanding that I need to be very serious in how I live my Christian life so that I will be rewarded when I see the Lord and not disciplined. Now, before we get into this matter of the reward and discipline itself, there's a very basic foundational matter that we need to understand to give us a proper perspective on this. And that is that according to the New Testament, the next age will not be eternity. According to the New Testament, the next age will be the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth, which is often called the millennium, a millennial having to do with the Greek word for 1,000. So that's a very basic matter we have to understand. Once we believe in Christ, our eternal destiny is secured. Nothing can ever change that. That's the assurance we have as believers in Christ. So when we're talking about reward and discipline, what we're referring to is that 1,000-year period. That's when believers will receive their reward or 
will receive a discipline depending on whether or not we were faithful to the Lord in our Christian living. And that will be determined at the judgment seat of Christ. So we have to be clear, very, very important matter, this matter of the millennium, that's going to be the time when Christ comes back, he establishes his kingdom on the earth, and all the promises to the nation of Israel will be fulfilled during that 1,000-year period. That will be the Davidic kingdom, when Israel will be reigning over the earth under the authority of the Lord. Very crucial, as I say, to understand this matter if we're going to have a proper view of the whole New Testament and of how God's salvation works. Now, there is a a, a very evil, a, a very completely false teaching out there. I would just about say it's a satanic teaching called amillennialism. And that's the teaching that when Revelation 20 says uh, there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, that, that's all symbolic language. It's not, not to be taken literally. But to take that view, you, you have to reject so much of the Bible, and you have to reject the plain words of Scripture. There in Revelation 20, you just have to, you're not interpreting the Bible. You're just rejecting what it says. Uh, it's you know, Satan saying all over again, Yea, hath God said. It's re- that's why it, I say the teaching is just about satanic. Uh, it's that evil. And it damages so many Christians in terms of how they come to the Bible and how they view the Bible. And that's why I've been uh, burdened to speak out against it. And I've done a whole series of podcasts on that false teaching to really expose it for what it is. And even as I was preparing for this podcast, I felt I probably want to do another single podcast again because a lot of Christians have been deceived by this false teaching. And I just want to bring out some basic points that just really show, really prove it is a false teaching. So that's probably, as the Lord allows, going to be the next podcast before we get back to the Passover. But obviously I need to be qualify that and say, as the Lord allows, because uh, a number of times, obviously, I haven't necessarily continued in the way I had thought. So as the Lord allows, that may be the next podcast. We'll see. But as I say, for now, we just have to understand it's very, very basic. It's very clear, actually, in the Bible. If you believe the Bible and accept what the Bible teaches in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, there will be a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. So when we're talking about the reward and discipline of the believers, that is what we're referring to, is that 1,000-year period. After the 1,000-year period is over, all the believers will be together with the Lord for eternity. Praise the Lord for that. And that's what we can have the assurance of as the believers. We cannot have the assurance that we are going to be with the Lord for that 1,000-year period. That may be a time of very serious discipline for us. And like I say, a lot of Christians, they don't like to hear this word. But that is the fact. There is no verse in the entire New Testament that gives us any assurance regarding where we are going to be during that thousand-year period. And if you have any questions about that, I would encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, where the Apostle Paul is talking about running the race for, to gain the crown. And he says he runs because he's concerned he could still be disqualified from getting the crown. Well, again, this is one of those verses where some people feel, okay, that shows you can lose your salvation. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about whether or not he's going to gain the reward. And if the Apostle Paul could not be sure he was going to gain the reward, my guess is probably you can't either, and I can't either. That's not determined until we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So people, people ask the question, do you believe in the assurance of salvation? 
I would, I would say this. There is absolutely a true assurance of salvation that believers can have, and that has to do with our eternal destiny. Regarding that, for sure, as believers, we can have uh, the assurance that we will be with the Lord for eternity. Praise the Lord for that. John 5, 24. We have passed out of death into life and will not come into judgment. Praise the Lord for that. But some believers have a false assurance of salvation regarding their millennial destiny. That's You cannot have that assurance as a believer in Christ. That is not because that hasn't been determined yet. Your eternal destiny is, de- is determined the moment you believe in Christ. But your millennial destiny has not yet been determined and will not be determined until you stand before Christ himself at the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Very, very serious, very, very sober matter. And as I'm sharing this, I think you can get the idea why a lot of Christians, they don't like to hear this. They want the free part. Yeah, I'll take that, but they want to leave the rest behind. Well, there's a whole other part of the New Testament, and you're not, you, can't, you don't have a choice about leaving it behind. That's there whether you like it or not. And I have covered some of these matters uh, more at length in, in other podcasts, and I'll, I'll probably link to some of those in the program description as well. In this edition of the podcast, I, I more want to tell I'm not so interested in uh, trying to prove this matter from the Bible. What I want to do is bring out positively, in a positive sense, uh, what we see in the book of Revelation about the reward and discipline of the believers. I read something a while ago, a comment that impressed me and uh, I don't quite remember where. I think it might have been in Mr. Pember's writings. But he, uh, the author was saying that he was quoting someone who was saying at a certain point, and I think this might have been in the 19th century when there was a lot of skepticism about uh, the Bible uh, and the Christian faith. Uh, the author was saying it, it seemed like, according to some, the entire point of the Christian faith was to prove that it was true. But they didn't give much thought to considering, okay, if it is true, what then? What does that mean for us? Their whole life was wrapped up in proving whether or not what they believed was true. They just didn't have any thought about how to actually practice the Christian faith. So I don't want to be like that. I want to, uh, in this program, as I say, I want to go on and consider, just bring out some of these points about uh, overcoming in the book of Revelation. Because it's very, very meaningful. When you see it, it's so meaningful. And it should have a big impact on our Christian life. And so that is what we will do on the other side of the break. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, If you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Hello and welcome back. Before I go on, I want to mention something that I forgot to mention at the start of this program. As I said, this past weekend I was in Ohio, and specifically in Willoughby, Ohio, that's a little ways east of Cleveland, for a Bible conference. And the brothers who gave that conference also sponsor uh, something called a Sweet Saver Bible School. And through that, they offer live online Bible classes that you can sign up for. 
go to the website. It's asweetsaver.org and click on the Bible School tab. And I'll also provide a, a link in the description box below. But I, I know many saints have enjoyed that. And I think if you take a look at that, uh, you might also find it very helpful. So I wanted to encourage you to take a look at that and see if you think it might be something you would be interested in. So now we come to the matter of overcoming in the book of Revelation. And I especially want to focus on Revelation chapter 20 and the reward for the overcomers. But I, I will say a little bit about just overcoming in a general way as well. And I think a good way to begin this topic is to look at a couple of different verses and compare them. The first one is Revelation 22 verse 5. And here the, the angel tells John, and night shall be no more, and they have no need of the light of a lamp or of the light of the sun, for the Lord God will shine upon them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Praise the Lord, saints. We're going to reign with the Lord forever and ever. But that's the key point in this verse. Here this verse says, the believers in Christ will reign with him forever and ever. But compare that with Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And that verse ends with this statement, they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Well, why does one verse say the believers will reign with Christ for a thousand years and another verse says we'll reign with him forever and ever? Is that a contradiction in the Bible? And the answer is no. These are talking about two different things. The reigning with Christ forever and ever in chapter 22 of Revelation is for all the believers. We will all reign with Christ forever and ever. We have that assurance. Praise the Lord for that. But the reigning with Christ in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, for a thousand years, is not for all the believers. It is for the faithful believers. You know, God is fair, and he's righteous, and he is not going to be mocked. If we are careless and not faithful to follow the Lord in this age, we will not receive the reward of reigning with Christ for a thousand years. God's, you're, we're going to reap what we sow. You're not going to mock God in that regard. If we're faithful and overcome, then we will reign with Christ for the thousand years. But again, because of the assurance we have of our eternal salvation, we will all reign with Christ for eternity according to Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And thank the Lord for that. What a wonderful assurance we can have. Now, I will say this, though. You know, I, maybe I used to say, uh, if, you, if you checked with me on this a while ago, I might have said that this eternal reigning is God's free gift to us in Christ. It's not. It's not a free gift. The forgiveness of sins is God's free gift to us. But no one will reign with Christ in eternity who has not passed through the process of death and resurrection and allowed Christ to deal with them, to bring them into glory so that they are fit and qualified to be with the Lord and to reign with him for eternity. We're not going to be miserable, forgiven sinners in eternity. We will be the glorified sons of God. And that means we have to pass through a process. And that's why in Revelation 22, verse 7, and that's why when I noticed this verse, my concept about this changed. And it's actually, it's Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. Excuse me. I'll start with verse 6. The Lord says to John, They have come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I shall give freely 
from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes shall inherit all these things, and I shall be God to him, and he shall be a son to me. So eventually, to partake of all the blessings that we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the eternal blessings, we have to overcome. He gives us the water of life freely. That's a free gift. But the Lord has to work in us and transform us to the point where we also overcome. Just as he overcame, so we are qualified to reign with him for eternity. So on the one hand, you could say we have the free gift of forgiveness and we have the free gift of the assurance that we will reign with the Lord for eternity. But in order to enter into that reigning, we still have to overcome. The question is, do we overcome in this age, the present age, so that we're qualified to reign with Christ during the millennium? Or are we defeated in this age so that the time of the millennium has to be a time of discipline for us to prepare us to reign with Christ for eternity? That's the question. But every believer will be an overcomer in eternity. It's simply a question of whether we overcome sooner or later. And if we overcome sooner, there's a particular reward. So when you look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and the letters to the seven churches, that's one of the key portions in the New Testament regarding this matter of overcoming. Because in each of these seven letters, the Lord gives a word, a promise to the overcomers. That's how he concludes the letters. He talks to the churches and then he says something in particular to the overcomers. And I'm not going to go through all seven of these, but just, for example, in the first letter is the letter to the church in Ephesus. And then in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord makes a promise. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. These wonderful, wonderful promises. And these all relate to the 1,000-year reign of Christ, these special promises. So now we come to Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, which is really the key portion of the New Testament that shows us the reward of the overcoming believers. And I'm going to read through these verses. And if you can, if, you're, uh, if you have a Bible handy and you can look at it, uh, I encourage you to follow along because you have to go through these verses very carefully to understand exactly what they're saying. And I know uh, getting into these verses recently has been a, a great help to me. I've seen I feel a good deal more about what they're saying. Now, I'll be reading in the Standard Version. And as you may know, if you've been listening to the program, that's a new translation of the New Testament that I've been working on. It's not out yet. always takes longer than what you think. But in this section, it'll be pretty much the same as any of the more literal translations, such as the New King James Version or the New American Standard or maybe the ESV, if you use that. Uh, there's one point where you can translate something either way, and I'll, uh, but I'll point that out when we get to it uh, later on. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, in Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3, the angel comes down out of heaven, and he binds Satan, and he throws him into the abyss for a thousand years. And so these verses, uh, 4 to 6, are talking about the situation of the overcoming believers during the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. So Revelation 20, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, 
and who had not received his mark upon their foreheads and upon their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for the thousand years. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no authority, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for the thousand years. Praise the Lord for that. What a, what a promise to the overcoming believers. Now, the first thing that we need to notice about these verses is that they are talking about the first resurrection. And again, this is one of the points where we have to be so careful when we read these verses. Because in the Bible, it's very clear in John chapter 5, there are two basic resurrections. There's a resurrection of life and there's the resurrection of damnation. Some translations say the resurrection of judgment, but two basic resurrections. But this isn't talking about either one of those resurrections. It doesn't say this is the resurrection of life. And I think a lot of believers read it that way, and I did until pretty recently. It says this is the first resurrection. Well, if there's only two resurrections, basic resurrections in the Bible, and one of them is a resurrection of judgment, then we have to say that the first resurrection here is a section within the resurrection of life. There's the general resurrection of life, and then there's a resurrection of reward, which is called here the first resurrection. That's what this is talking about, these verses in chapter uh, Revelation 20, chapter 4 to 6. Not the general resurrection of life for the believers, but the first resurrection, the resurrection of reward, we can call it that way. So now with the understanding that these verses are talking about the first resurrection, the resurrection of reward, let's go back to verse 4 and read through that. Because there's a key point we need to see in this verse, and that is that even within this first resurrection, the resurrection of reward, there are different classes of reward for the overcoming believers. So we have to look at this verse again very carefully. Verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. Okay, so this is the first class of the overcoming believers. These are the ones who are sitting upon the throne, and they receive a judgment, it says, is given to them. I have to phrase it in the right way. They have been given the responsibility by the Lord to rule over the earth. And it's quite striking. It doesn't tell us here in Revelation 20, verse 4, who they are. It simply says, they, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. The reason for that is, it doesn't need to. What this indicates is that there's a sense in which, in the entire book of Revelation, the focus is on gaining these overcomers. And that's in the sense of how God carries out his purpose and fulfills his purpose in this age. The entire purpose is for God to gain these overcomers. But it does tell us who these are, who they are, so to speak, when you go back to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. And that's where the Lord promises, He who overcomes, to him I will give to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. So this is the fulfillment in Revelation 24 of the Lord's promise to the overcomers in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. 
They, so they here are the overcomers, the overcoming believers. They are sitting upon the thrones. Another uh, reference to that, excuse me, in the New Testament would be in Luke chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. Here the Lord is talking to the 12 apostles. He says, you are those who have remained with me throughout my trials. And I appoint to you, even as my father has appointed to me a kingdom, then verse 30, that you may eat and drink with me at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So these ones who are sitting on the thrones are the overcomers. They're, of course, referring very specifically to the 12 apostles of the Lamb, but also, based on Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, those who overcome in a general way throughout the church age. You don't sit on the throne because your sins are forgiven. You sit on the throne because you were faithful to the Lord and you paid the price to overcome in this age. But to fully see what the angel is showing John here, we have to read the next clause in chapter 20, verse 4. Let me start over again. And I saw the thrones, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Now, this reveals a real secret about the first resurrection. Some believers here are already sitting upon the thrones. They've been fully resurrected. They're sitting upon the thrones. But then John goes on and he says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Well, their souls here because they have not yet been resurrected. In other words, they haven't yet been clothed upon with their resurrection bodies, as the Apostle Paul talks about at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that's why John saw their souls. It doesn't say he saw them. He saw their souls because they were not yet resurrected. Later on, as we'll see at the end of this verse, he says they lived and reigned with Christ for the thousand years. So these are resurrected later, These ones who are sitting upon the thrones have already been resurrected. Again, as I say, you have to be so careful when you look at these verses. Well, what does this indicate? It indicates that not only do you have the first resurrection as a section within the resurrection of life, there is another resurrection within the first resurrection that is the unique particular reward of some believers who in this age give themselves fully to the Lord, fully to pay the price to follow him, to be fully one with him for his desire and fulfill his desire on this age. These are the ones who are sitting upon the thrones. And these are the ones who partake of a resurrection prior to even the first resurrection. And this is the resurrection the Apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11. Now, I'm going to read this verse from the, the Standard Version because this it brings out something here that's quite crucial. Uh, again, I'll start uh, with the preceding verse to give it the context. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the outstanding resurrection from among the dead. And the difference there from other versions, I think, is pretty clear, is that most translations would just say, if I may attain to the resurrection from among the dead. They don't have that word outstanding there. But the reason why I feel it's appropriate to put that word there is that the word for resurrection here in Philippians 3.11 is unique in the New Testament. 
It's not just resurrection. It contains a prefix. And I want to be clear, I don't know Greek, but these kinds of things you, you can know without fully knowing the language. Uh, it contains this prefix, ek, which means out of, out in Greek. So it's literally the out-resurrection from among the dead. But if Paul was only talking here about the general resurrection of life, there's no need to strive and to struggle and to press on. Like he says, in, he goes on in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He wouldn't need to do that if he's just talking here about the resurrection of life. And I think a lot of uh, believers, when they read this verse, they have that question. It's a real question. Well, if you understand this verse to say that I may attain to the resurrection from among the dead, does that mean I may not be resurrected? We know that's not true from the rest of the New Testament. He's talking about something special here. And because you do have that prefix out in front of the word resurrection, it's the only place in the New Testament where that uh, construction appears. It seems the best way, the right way to understand this is that the Apostle Paul is talking about an outstanding resurrection from among the dead. And that's what Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, is talking about with the believers who will be sitting on the thrones. That is the outstanding resurrection. It's something not only beyond the resurrection of life, it is something even beyond the first resurrection. That's what Paul was striving for. That's what he wanted. He wanted that top, utmost portion of resurrection. And you have to notice, I didn't, I didn't realize this, and I, I didn't see the gradations in the reward here until I was reading in the writings of Mr. Pember, G.H. Pember, the 19th century student of biblical prophecy. And he points out, these believers are the only ones who are sitting upon the thrones. The rest of the believers are resurrected, but they are not on the thrones. Yes, they are reigning, these uh, overcoming believers, but they reign under the authority of the believers who are sitting upon the thrones. That's the outstanding resurrection, saints. That's the resurrection we all should aspire to attain to. And the Apostle Paul aspired to that resurrection. But it's something way beyond simply the resurrection of life that we're assured of because we believed in Jesus. It's even beyond the first resurrection. It's the outstanding resurrection from among the dead. The topmost portion of reward that the Lord will have for his faithful believers in the coming age, the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Uh, and I should make, uh, just uh, make a little footnote here. In the Standard Version, of course, we don't just have outstanding there. It's a kind of a uh, unique case in the New Testament. We have the word out in the regular type, and standing is in italics, and we combine that. It's part of the word's italicized, part of it's not, so you can see what is actually there in the Greek and what's not. But it does seem that the right way to understand what Paul is talking about there is that it's a reference to the outstanding resurrection spoken of in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Okay, so let's go on and let's see about the rest of the believers in the first resurrection. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. So again, these are not yet resurrected when John first sees them. But they had paid a real price to follow the Lord. And this refers, probably for the most part, to those who will be martyred during the Great Tribulation by the Antichrist. Now, in this next clause of Revelation 20, verse 4, that's where you have a difference in the translations. And it has to do with how you understand this verse, whether it is showing us 
only two distinct classes of overcomers, or whether in this last clause it's referring to a separate class of overcomers. So I'll just read through the verse again, um, and then you'll see, uh, I think, more clearly what, what I'm speaking of here. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. Okay, so that's the first class of overcomers. That's clear. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Okay, so there's the second class. Now, the question is in this next clause, is this continuing the description of the second class, or is it talking about a distinct third class of overcomers? And who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, and who had not received his mark upon their foreheads and upon their hands. So you could understand that to be referring to a distinct group of overcomers. And if you do that, then your view is, the second group bore such a strong testimony to the Lord that they were martyred on behalf of Christ. They'd been beheaded, as it says, for the testimony of Jesus. And then this third class, they didn't have such a strong testimony to the Lord, and yet they were faithful to the Lord so that they did not worship the beast or his image or receive his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And so the Lord still counts them as overcomers because they were faithful to him, even though they did not bear such a testimony that it caused them to be beheaded. But of course, if you were martyred for Christ during the Great Tribulation, then for sure you would also be one who didn't worship the beast or did not receive the mark. So you could really understand that logically either way. And so some translations in that uh, latter clause, they say basically, and I saw the souls of those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and go on from there. In the standard version, I just have, and who had not worshipped the beast nor his image. So referring to that second class. But logically, you could still understand it as a third distinct class of believers. It's just a question of whether or not you add in those words uh, to explain the meaning. Uh, And it goes on. And they lived and reigned with Christ for the thousand years. So then these also get to partake of the first resurrection. Verse 5 then goes on and says, this is the first resurrection. Now, since I've referred to Mr. Pember's comments on this verse, let me, let me read what he himself says, upon it, says about it. This is from uh, Volume 1 of his Great Prophecy series. It's on page 443. He writes, Now, in this passage, Revelation 20, verse 4, we can discern three different classes of glorified believers. There are, first, those who are seen sitting upon the thrones, and who are probably the company which will be caught up to the Lord at the beginning of the presence. Then there are those who, being left behind, will be martyred for the testimony of Jesus during the 70th week. And lastly, those who will be faithful witnesses for Christ in the times of trial, neither worshipping the beast nor his image, but will nevertheless escape death, or at least death by persecution. The first class appears to occupy a higher position than the others, but all live and reign with Christ for a thousand years, while the rest of the dead are not recalled to life until the end of that period. So as I say, when I first saw this through the writings of Mr. Pember, that was a great help to me, that the Lord is very, very fine in how he judges and deals with his saints. And so he doesn't just give everyone the same result, you, you, everybody who's saved is going to partake of the first resurrection. 
he does not even give his overcoming believers the same reward. It depends on how faithful they were in following him and in bearing his testimony. As as I've said in these verses, we see at least two classes, possibly three classes of reward in these verses. But I just so appreciated that. Uh, And it made me say, Lord, I, I want to be one who partakes of the best resurrection, the outstanding resurrection from among the dead. For sure, I want to be in the first resurrection. But if somehow I could attain even to the outstanding resurrection, how good that would be. Again, only those who partake of this outstanding resurrection, only they will be on the thrones. The other believers will reign with Christ for a thousand years, but they will do so under the direction of those believers who are sitting upon the thrones. And so that's what we should aspire to, to be a believer, even to be one who partakes of the outstanding resurrection and who is sitting upon the throne with Christ for that 1,000-year period. Now, there's one final point that I want to make about the overcomers, and in particular about these ones who are upon the thrones. And this really, when I, when I saw this, I really just had to worship the Lord for it. And I, I sent out a note about this some time ago. And I'll, I'll link to that again. So there's a lot to link to in the program notes below, but it might be worth getting into. And that has to do with the thrones themselves. Again, you have to pay attention to what these verses are saying if, if you want to catch everything that's in here. Let me read verse, this first part of verse 4 again. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Do you see what the Apostle John says here? Or let me put it a different way. Do you see what he does not say? He does not say, I saw them sitting upon the thrones. What he says is, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. You know what that tells us, saints? A day is coming when the overcomers will rise up to sit upon their thrones. That will be a day of such glory and such celebration and such rejoicing and such praising to the Lord for gaining these overcomers. We can't even begin to imagine it. You know, not that long ago, and I, I mentioned this in the article, that's why I was really thinking of it. Of course, there was the uh, enthronement of the King of England. The new king of England it hasn't happened in, you know, by, what was it, 75, 70, 75 years, 1952, right? Since this has happened, since England has had a new monarch. And, of course, the British throne is the most glorious throne there is in the entire world. And there was all this pageantry and pomp and the horses and the horsemen and the, the soldiers all dressed up in their finery. And in the cathedral, that, that's the most glory you could ever have as an earthly sovereign. But that's going to be as nothing. It's going to be as dung and dog food compared to the kind of glory that these believers will have when they sit upon their thrones. The Lord will just honor them to the uttermost for their faithful service and their following of him in this age. And what's so touching about this is the ones who are going to be sitting upon the thrones at that time are the despised of the earth today. As it says in Hebrews chapter 11, they they were stoned, they were wandered in in caves, holes of the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. They were just the scum of the earth. The Apostle Paul talks about himself today in this age, of course, because uh, we're dealing uh, with the ruler of this world, Satan, and he does everything he can to try to tear us down. So at that time, these ones who were so despised, counted as nothing by the world, These are the ones who will rise up in that day to sit upon their thrones. It's really the fulfillment of the Lord's word in Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 5, where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It is really so. Today, so many uh, politicians and uh, political parties, whatever, they're all fighting over who's going to run the earth, right? It's a temporary, it's a fleeting kind of power anyway. But in that day, praise the Lord, the meek will inherit the earth. And we should just have a real sense. When it says this, I saw thrones and they sat upon them. What a ceremony. What a glory. What a marvelous presentation of the overcomers that will be. We should all long to be a part of that, saints. That should really cause us to rise up. Lord, I would pay any price to follow you, to serve you in this age, so I could win the reward in the next age and be one who's so pleasing to you and one you can use to carry out your desire because I am faithful to you, because I do serve you, because I do give myself fully to follow you in this age. May the Lord make it so. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.